Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of, uh, let's have a look, John. What do you reckon? Just do John chapter 8. And um, there's a story there that you're all very familiar with, okay? So one of the problems preachers have is that you've heard it all before, okay? I can't, I can't pick anything you haven't read before, right? When you went to Sunday school and later, those of you that went to children's church, they spoiled it for the preachers. They took all the stories and ruined them first before we get a chance. So look, you already know this. So the preacher's job is not to tell you something you don't know. It's actually to tell you something you already know and to ask you if you already know it, why aren't you doing it? That's really our job, okay? We don't do anything new, okay? Nothing new. I could do something new, but then I would be a heretic and they'd kick me out and I'd lose my credential and all the rest of it. So let's, let's do something you already know and hope you don't turn off before we get to something you don't know. You see, it's trouble when talking to people. I remember when I knew everything. Um, I was a lot younger than I am now. And it's strange. You go from knowing everything to knowing less and less and less as you grow older. Until now, I don't know that I even know anything. So, but it's a more comfortable place to be in. So in John chapter 8, you have the story, of course, of Jesus. And we're told, it says, verse 2, early in the morning... He came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned to death. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Let's stop there for a minute. See, we always read a story and we think, well, the woman was taken in adultery and all the rest of it, and all the good stuff. But have you ever realized why it happened? It happened because the religious leaders did it in order to test Jesus. It wasn't anything other than a trap. They set up an elaborate trap for Jesus. Now, just bear with me for a minute. Before they did this, because it was quite elaborate and prepared well in advance. This is early in the morning, so it had to be well prepared before this time. They had to sit down. If you had to trap something or somebody, the first thing you want to know is what is their weakness. That's where you're going to trap somebody or something, is it? On a basis of a weakness, a flaw, something that uh, they are vulnerable to. So for a long time, the religious leaders listened to Jesus. They went wherever he was. They asked him sorts of questions. You can read about it. And they were observing, looking for a flaw or a weakness. And they found it. And they got together and they said, look, we've found the greatest weakness in the life and character of Jesus Christ. And we can, we can capitalize on this thing. And we can destroy his reputation so that people won't listen to him and won't follow him anymore. So, in order to spring the trap, they needed a bait. And they needed someone 
who would do something particularly considered to be very bad. So they sat down and they think to themselves, well, well, who can we get? You know, who, who, who can we get that's doing something bad? And one of them said, I know a woman who's having an affair with a guy. Uh, isn't that interesting that as a religious leader, not that he knew somebody who had was an affair with somebody, that, that's not the issue, but as a religious leader, he knew somebody who was having an affair with something, but he didn't do anything to help anybody. That's interesting. So they said, okay, now Jesus comes into the temple early in the morning, and we know where this woman's going to be early in the morning. Yeah? So we'll spring the trap. Uh, we'll go and grab her and we'll bring her to Jesus. And that's what they did. They, they, they burst through the door, grabbed this woman, took her out, took her to where Jesus was preaching, threw her down. There's somebody missing in the story because I've always understood that you can't commit adultery on your own. <laughs> so somehow this guy isn't there. No, no the guy doesn't work in the plan. No. Maybe he was a friend and that's how they knew about it. Uh, we don't know, but they didn't bring the man. The man doesn't have the same emotional appeal, you see. It's a man. Now, as a man, it's easy to say, the rotten mongrel, kill him, stone him to death. But it's a woman. You know, you don't, you don't just stone women to death. I mean, it just, it, it adds more grit to the whole dilemma, doesn't it? It makes it more difficult. That's deliberate. So this woman and her sin is not the concern of the Pharisees. This woman now is being used. Her situation is being used for their own ends and their own purposes. So in fact, they are perpetrating a greater abuse with this woman than the man that she was in adultery with. This woman is now being victimized by the religious leaders of her day. She's not being treated as a person who has a problem and needs to be helped. She's being treated uh, as someone they can exploit for their own ends and purposes. We should pause here and say that all exploitation, victimization, etc. is against the core of our faith. And we as people need to learn to stand up against it. That's another story for another time. So they bring her and they throw her in front of Jesus. You see? The question is, why did they think this was going to be a trap? Well, if they had thought, and obviously they didn't, but if they had thought, if we bring this woman who was obviously guilty, throw her in front of Jesus, well, the trap wouldn't work if Jesus said, well, do what Moses said to do. Go ahead and obey the Bible and stone her to death. No trap, right? Doesn't work. The only way this trap is going to work is if they were absolutely certain that Jesus wasn't going to do that. Yeah? So what they were absolutely certain of was that Jesus was not going to condemn this woman. That's his weakness. The fatal flaw of Jesus Christ that they could manipulate, they thought, against him was the fact that he showed grace and forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
the greatest weakness of Jesus that he's ever shown is his grace to you. But we wouldn't consider it a weakness, would we? We would consider it a great strength. But notice here, the religious leaders actually set this all up. They were dependent upon Jesus showing grace. They, this whole plan wouldn't have worked unless he, get, he showed forgiveness. They were certain about it. They had no shadow of doubt about it. This thing is going to work. We know what he's going to do. We can predict the outcome. He will forgive this woman. And we can set up the worst possible case where every man in the place wants to stone her to death and every woman in the place is ashamed of her. And we can set this up so that it's pretty obvious what he must do, but he will not do it. Do you see how much confidence they had in his grace and forgiveness? Here's a point to pause and think then. If the unbelieving religious leaders of Jesus' day had absolute confidence in the grace and forgiveness of God, why don't we see more of it in the church? Mm. Why do Christians wonder whether they've been forgiven or question whether there is grace for them? Why do they think that God won't forgive me or I've done it before and God won't forgive me the next time? Or I'm not worthy of receiving grace. Or or God doesn't do things like that for me. We have a great underlying issue in church. Probably not this way. There's a great underlying issue in church life. And that is the lack of, of people understanding the true grace of God. And the true extent of his willingness to forgive. We have an underlying sense of guiltiness which the devil and our world and we ourselves convince us of that we are not worthy and so we're not going to receive. Now the first part that you are not worthy is absolutely correct. You do not deserve to be forgiven. You are not worthy of grace nor deserving of forgiveness. You are only worthy, as you know and I know, to be punished and rejected and cast out for the things you know you've done that you never should have done because you're such a rotten person. That's the secret inside of everyone's heart. But the truth is that God has forgiven you. That's why the scripture says that when Jesus Christ came, he came with grace and truth. Grace is connected to truth. For first, it's grace. And then, when you understand grace, you can appreciate the truth. We in the church want to cut the cord between grace and truth. We want to receive all the grace and decide our own truth. We do. So we want to say, thank God I'm forgiven. I go to church and born again. Hallelujah. Now, when I walk out the door, I want to decide what is true and what is not true in the way I live my life. I want to make moral decisions based on my own thinking, not upon the word of God. I will decide what I'm going to do. Don't interfere with my life, God. Don't tell me what I can do and what I can't do. I'll make those decisions in my life. But you can't have grace. And not have truth. You can't have his grace and your truth. If you have his grace, you must live by his truth. And don't play around with it. 
We see people saying today, well, you know, the most important thing is love. You just got to love them. We got to love them, brother. We got to love them. No matter what they are, no matter what they do, you got to love them. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. So we got to love them. We got to show them love. Yeah, well, hang on a minute. The commandments of God are summarized in two, Jesus said. First one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself. But you can't love your neighbor if you're not loving God. For you only love your neighbor out of the love that you have for God. If you're loving your neighbor out of your own love, it's inadequate. It's faulty. It's flawed. You make all sorts of mistakes. And the church is guilty, especially in these days of making really important moral decisions in our nation. Where the church is guilty of making it on the basis of our, our love, our truth, instead of God's love and his truth. We are not here to make our own moral decisions in a sense. We're here to abide by the truth. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Grace and truth are connected together. Here you see it here in Jesus. He points out to you and me that he is a God of grace, but he's also a God of truth. He understands the truth that you are not worthy, but he gives you the grace. Hmm? He gives you the grace and forgiveness that is his to give. So, think about it this way. What does he do? When he talks to them, what does he say? He says, look, is there anyone here? They kept on questioning, verse 7 says, And he straightened up and said, let any one of you, any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. So what he doesn't do, he doesn't talk about the woman's sin. He talks about everybody's sin. So the first thing Jesus points out is what you think this woman's the only one here that's done anything wrong. You think she's the only one deserving of punishment. So he points to everybody and he says, well, okay, you guys. Which one of you have never done anything wrong? But he's pointing out something else, isn't he? He's saying, you put this woman here as a trap for me because you knew I would forgive her. You acknowledge her sin and you expect me to forgive her. But you are not acknowledging your own sin nor your own need of forgiveness. What he's actually pointing out is if you were really as understanding as you thought you were, you would be asking for forgiveness, not trying to trap me with forgiving this woman. We are all that woman. We are all needing of the same grace and the same forgiveness, every single one of us. We are all equally guilty and all equally recipients of grace. He doesn't reject that woman. He wouldn't reject anybody in the crowd. And he does not reject you or me today. Despite what we truly know about ourselves, we are forgiven. Amen? There is grace for us. From God's point of view, then, everybody is guilty, but everybody can be a recipient of grace. Let's look at something else for a minute. You all right? How am I going? You okay? You still with me? I haven't lost you somewhere along the way? Doesn't been a complicated journey, has it really? It's pretty simple. 
Jesus does something when they come to him, throw the woman down, and ask him a question. He does something that, well, I don't know. You see, you, the story spoiled. It was taken off me as a preacher. But when you read it, you tend to read it, and you say, I've read it all before. But actually, the Bible says he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. And while they're all talking, Jesus is writing on the ground, right? Now, that's odd behavior. That is not normal. Even in Jesus' day, it was weird. Man, that's weird. So he's writing on the ground. Now, we can ask ourselves, what's going on? Well, what did he write on the ground? Well, we don't know. And the reason you don't know is because it's not important. Because if it was important, you would have been told. There are a couple of symbolic expressions here, though, of writing on the ground. There are only two other cases in the Bible where the hand of God is seen to be writing. One was when Moses went up to the top of the mountain and the hand of God wrote on the tablets of stone. When that's happening, God is laying out his law for his people. Remember, these are the Jewish leaders. And they are the ones, the religious leaders, who are so keen in everybody keeping the law that was written by the finger of God. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's writing another law. And the Bible says that the law he writes is not upon tablets of stone, but upon the heart. And what he's basically saying is, I'm writing another law. You've got a law, but it's written on hard stone. I have a law that I want to write on the hearts of people. Your law is one of punishment and judgment, and my law is one of grace and truth. So he's showing them that the finger of God is writing another law, a New Testament. Yeah? There's a second time when the hand of God writes. And it's on a wall at the party of a king. And they're having a great time. And a hand writes on the wall. And they bring up the prophet Daniel. And he's asked to interpret it. And he says, well, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And this day your kingdom will be taken from you. And within 12 hours that king was no longer king. And he no longer had a kingdom. It was snatched away. In a sense, he's also writing this. When he writes on the floor, he's saying, your time's finished, guys. It's all over. Within 40 years of Jesus writing on the ground, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple in which he was writing it in was pulled apart brick by brick. There was nothing left. The governor, sorry, the ruler of the Roman Empire at the time sent his son, Titus, to destroy Jerusalem. He told them not to destroy it. He told them not to destroy the temple because they respected religious places. But the dome of the temple at the time was made of gold. And the heat of the fires of Jerusalem melted the gold, the Bible, the, the, the history books tell us, ran off the temple into the cracks of the stones. And the Roman soldiers, trying to get the gold out of the stones, took apart the entire temple and left it just a pile of stones. What Jesus is writing down is saying, you guys and all you stand for is coming to an end. Is that possible? Wow. Not sure. Both are plausible. But one thing I do know, that when Jesus was writing on the ground and they kept on asking him questions, there is an equivalent today. And it, it's like... Now, if you come to me and you start talking to me and I go like this, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm ignoring you. How do you feel? Yeah? It's sort of like saying, not important, not interested. 
rubbish. And that's what he's doing. If he were here today, he wouldn't be writing on the floor. He'd be flicking through Facebook (laughs) while you're talking. Same thing. He's basically saying, guys, this is silly nonsense. I'm not interested. Huh? You're just wrong. You don't get it. You don't understand. His silence actually and his writing says a great deal. He's trying to communicate to them. You don't understand and you keep coming up with this trivial stuff. What on earth is wrong with you guys? You don't get it, do you? The result of this is he eventually straightened up and he says, as we said before, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. And then he says this, again, it's, it's really quite shocking. You even causes Christians problems today. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and uh, leave your life of sin. It's not what you expect, is it? See, what, what you re- if you hadn't been spoiled before, you, you would re- expect is that Jesus is right then. Okay. Now, they couldn't stone you, but I can. So listen, lady, I want to give you a few home truths. And if you ever do it again, I know where you live. And I'm going to come there and rip your head off your shoulders. You think, now straight it up. But he didn't. See, he didn't do what you expect him to do. And thank God that he's not made in our image. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be dead, right? So he does what is even more unexpected. He actually says, okay then, cool. Go and don't sin anymore. Now, you might say, well, oh, gee, that was easy, wasn't it? Easy off, you know what I mean? You just come, you sin, you come, and you say, Jesus, forgive me. He says, okay, then go and don't sin anymore. Now, it's not weakness that he's showing. You, you, you notice he's making a choice here. He's choosing grace and forgiveness rather than judgment and condemnation. But what he is doing is he's saying to the woman, now, lady, you've been forgiven but that's not the end of it. Huh? Is it? Now, she's going home to a husband. And she has just been publicly humiliated. And news travels very fast. Particularly when it's bad news about somebody else. Before she got home, her husband knew all about it. Now, what he's saying is, now listen, I've just forgiven you. But you have to go face consequences. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah, I've forgiven you. But you have to go and work this out now in your life. You have to go and sort this out in your family, in your marriage, and with your friends, and with your neighbors. This is not going to be easy, lady. I'm not wiping it clean so that your memory and everybody else's is eradicated from this. You need to go face up to it now. The tough part's about to begin but notice what he's done for her. You might say, well, you know, that's, he's not doing much. Oh, he's doing a great deal. Because what he's doing is he's dealing with the woman on her inside here. To that woman, he's bringing forgiveness and he's bringing grace. And he's removing guilt and he's removing condemnation. So she can go home to her husband 
and she can apologize and she can show all the necessary aspects of you know you know remorse and plead for forgiveness and and ask for a, a fresh start she can do all of that but she can do it on the basis that there is should be now no self condemnation because she's forgiven when you go and you're not forgiven when you're dependent on the forgiveness of people you're in trouble you're likely not to get it but she's going home forgiven by God to me you see that's the greatest thing that our faith gives us as Christians is I'm forgiven by God I would like you to forgive me but if you won't I can live with that because I'm forgiven by God. I'm not dependent upon the grace of people to live a life of peace. I'm not dependent on people's forgiveness to give me strength. My strength comes out of the fact I'm forgiven by God. And I can live out of that grace, out of that forgiveness. And that's what he's done for the woman. He's given her a foundation upon which she can build. A solid foundation of knowing. Lady, never doubt this. You may wonder whether people remember. You may wonder whether they forgive you or whether they understand or whatever they're saying about you. All of that is, you may wonder about, but never wonder about the fact that you have received grace and forgiveness in your life for good. Isn't that right? Build on that. Don't build on what other people are saying, what other people are doing. You'll never build on that sand. Don't build on Build on the rock. Your forgiveness and grace of God. That's what we build on. That's what we build on. Amen. Not the opinion of others. We build on that rock. Some of you go to work tomorrow and maybe the boss doesn't like you. I'm sorry. And look, do what you can to rectify the problem. But in the end, don't build on that. You are not what he says you are. You are what God says you are. Amen. Amen. You may be going home to a difficult family situation, but just remember that there is more to you than that. You stand on a solid foundation of grace and truth that you are forgiven. Amen. That's where we build our life. We build it there. And that's what he's doing for the woman. Now I need to wind up. Because it's getting close to lunchtime. Well, not actually. No, it's pretty close to lunchtime. Getting close to a cup of tea. I know that. <laughs> There's this. When I look at this, uh, I, I was just thinking about this one day. And I realized something. There's a bigger picture to this. And um, I want you to think about what happened to that lady. Look at it from the woman's point of view. We're not really sure, but we can sort of put together a reasonable story, can't we? She's married. Husband doesn't know what's going on, so she's living a a life of pretending. So, in the morning, she gets up. Husband goes off to work early. She gets kids ready. Sends them off to school, maybe. And then she waves bye-bye, rushes straight back down, gets dressed, does her hair, does her face, does everything up, sprays perfect big smile on her face she's gone for a romantic encounter this is going to be wonderful so off she goes sneaking around making sure nobody can see make her way into the house and knocks on the door a lover opens the door falls into his arms fantastic 
This is going to be a wonderful day. A day of romance, okay? A day of love. And bang, the door smashed down. And they drag her out and take her to Jesus. And in a fraction of time, her day went from a day that she anticipated as being a day of wonder and pleasure and joy. In a fraction of a second, it turned into a catastrophe. It turned into a disaster. It turned into a day of despair and humiliation in a fraction of a second. Now, it has been my experience in life that things like that can happen. You can set out to work on a nice fine day and think, wow, this is lovely, and bang, all of a sudden something happens. Maybe it was the truck that hit you. Maybe it was the boss that called you in and terminated your position in the company, told you they were winding up. Maybe it was the bad news you got. Maybe it was the telephone call you received, but in a fraction of a second, your world can go from great to disaster. But when that happened, what this woman discovered was, you see, when she got there and when she was humiliated, grace was waiting for her. She didn't have to call out for it. It was already there. She didn't seek grace. Grace had sought her. It was there waiting for her. I want to say this to you right now. No matter what you have experienced in life, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you are right now, grace is already there for you. You don't have to say, God, look at what's happened. He's already seen it. You don't have to say, God, do you care? He's already there. The hand of God is outstretched towards you now. Didn't he say to one of the men in the Old Testament, is my hand suddenly got shorter than it used to be? Just because you're in trouble, do you think my hand has shrunk? No. The hand of God is just as long and powerful in your day of trouble as it was in the day of your blessing. He's just as present to help you when you're hurting as he was when you were really flying high. God is here right now. And it doesn't matter what condition you are in right now, what your emotional, physical, financial, spiritual condition is right now. It really doesn't change anything as far as God is concerned. He is here. He's here with grace and truth. And he's here to accept you minister to you right now you can walk out of this place you can walk out in grace and you walk out forgiven may I come in here wondering what's going to happen where am I going what's my life like what's going on but I can tell you you don't have to walk out the way you came in amen in the Old Testament when you went into the temple you went in through one gate but you weren't allowed to go back out the same gate you went in. Do you know that? You had to go on another one. Because you weren't allowed to go back out the way you came in. You had to go out the way different to the way you came in. Isn't that right? I was uh, in the UK. I'm nearly done. When preachers say they're nearly done, I actually believe them, but I'm getting closer. I'm coming into land. I'm almost, I'm almost touching down. We, were, we met some family we'd never met before. 
and uh, we, we were in this place having lunch and we got up to leave and um, I was walking out the door we come in here see and I was walking out this door uh, and one of the cousins grabbed my hand and said I know we've sort of never met before but you can't go out that way I said what is it a problem is it, is it doesn't, doesn't it leave no no we have to go out the way we came in and I said why I'm an Australian you know I want to do things different why he said because it's bad luck if you go out a different way to the way you came in I said what the he said yeah it's bad luck he said mum will get very upset if you go out a different way you have to go out the same way you came in otherwise bad things can happen to you see that's the way the world might think but the way my God thinks is you came in like this hey go out a different way go out better than the way you came in amen and we can always do that in the house of God because grace is waiting for us when you came here today grace was already waiting for you the grace of God is here for you right now you don't have to do anything except accept it amen and receive it for yourself can we bow our heads in prayer for a moment Lord Jesus I thank you for your grace and forgiveness I thank you that you are here waiting for us Lord we think sometimes we wait for you but it's never true you're always waiting for us and Lord we come to receive forgiveness right now all of us need it we depend upon your grace and receive it again today Father we thank you for it we are desperate for it can't live a day without your grace Father, we just ask that today every one of these people would be fresh recipients of your grace right now. That they would once again lean on and depend upon your forgiveness. And that they would know the wonderful power of God's transformation in their life today again. That we would once again be clean. That we'd once again walk out with a fresh start and a new beginning. That we once again reestablish ourselves upon the rock of your grace and forgiveness. That we walk out of this place, Father, with, without any shadow of doubt, Lord, that we stand on a foundation of forgiveness and grace. We face our world and whatever consequences there are, knowing that, Father, this world may be shaken, but the rock on which we stand cannot be shaken. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your truth. Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.